0: What's up, guys? My Take Radio episode 243 for Wednesday, September 17th, 2014. Our call number is 347-324-3541. Again, that caller number 347-324-3541. That is true. It is Wednesday. You're probably asking yourself, why are you on today? Is there no show tomorrow? So, quick recap for those of you that missed last week's show. My Take Radio will be switching to a twice-a-week format Starting this week, Uh, this week's show uh, for Wednesday will be covering MMA and wrestling for the week, and Thursday's show will cover gaming and entertainment. This is going to be the schedule going forward. Uh, Same thing every Wednesday and Thursday, same time, 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific, and you'll still be able to watch, listen, and chat live. Shout out to our friends at GFQ for making the accommodation for the brand new Uh, twice-a-week format. Uh, A couple of reasons why I'm doing this, if you guys didn't tune in last week, uh, number one, to cut down on editing, especially on the video side of things. Number two, just way too many four-hour shows for multiple reasons. So with that, going this route is gonna be just hopefully easier. It'll allow us to crank out content faster and cover more stuff in a timely fashion. It's funny because somebody asked me if I was planning on doing... Uh, Like that guy that does Entrepreneur on Fire, like John Lee Dumas, who does a a podcast every day, I probably would blow my brains out. I don't know how the hell he does it. I'm sure a lot of it is pre recorded, but since we try to cover stuff that's current, I definitely feel that that would be very, very difficult to do. Unless, of course, this was my full time gig, then, of course, there'd probably be a show every day covering different things. But in any event, this week, uh, a couple of things will be going on. Uh, First up, like I said, wrestling and MMA this week, we're going to definitely get into Night of Champions. We're going to talk about the current state of pro wrestling. I want to talk about a couple of different things that have been going on and a couple of conversations I've had this week, um, especially with relation to a John Cena heel turn. Uh, A couple of friends of mine, um, primarily Josh and one of my colleagues at the office, were discussing that. And there were a couple of different theories I came up with, and I want to get into that. Um, In addition... We will get into the week's MMA news. I did not get to watch this week's episode of The Ultimate Fighter. It's actually on DVR, so unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to recap it this week. But hopefully, once we get the twice-a-week format down to a science, it should be easier to get that stuff out. Um, Same thing with TNA Impact. I was actually watching it on tape delay because we were preparing for this week's show. But as I said, twice a week, Wednesdays, MMA and Wrestling, Thursdays, Gaming and entertainment, we'll probably expand a little bit, go into some tech stuff that falls into the gaming category, but that is the schedule going forward. Again, uh, we're shooting probably for 90 minutes. If we go a little over, I'm going to try and avoid it, but I'm going to try and stick to 90 minutes at best. Uh, Slick asked a very solid question, which I'm sure a lot of you are going to ask. Every episode will be individually numbered, so of course, mtr two forty three will be today 244 will be tomorrow so on and so forth so that's how we are going to do it going forward Um, a couple of other things i gotta put out there real quick there will be some schedule changes in october and november due to a couple of events that we will be covering including the photo plus expo Uh, we're going to be covering the engadget expand event and a couple of other things as well with regards to mtr behind the mic and mtr beyond the mic those are going to have new episodes next week i'll be sitting down with mike kingston from headlocked and he'll be joining us for a brand new beyond the mic in addition to that i'm going to be speaking with kelly miller uh, from martial arts junkie uh great martial arts website if you're a fan of old school kung fu flicks uh definitely check his site out we're still we're still pinning down a date for that we're also going to get noel brown back on air uh probably Within the next couple of weeks, I've been working uh, with the guys from Unveil to set that up. Once we get the schedule, of course, I will let you guys know. Uh, For those that are asking, yes, uh, mytakeradio.com will not have any of the other content that we usually post, reviews, all that stuff. All of that will be on Rageworks. You can go to rageworks.net to check out uh, all the live blogs for all the wrestling events, all our reviews, all our other content. Mytakeradio.com will only be... For the shows and any on-air products only. As a matter of fact, once I redesign MyTakeRadio.com, all the content that's there will be archived. If you want to read it for nostalgic purposes, it will be there, but everything else will be on RageWorks. All right, so as I said, uh, tonight's topics, we're going to talk about this past weekend's UFC event. Oh, there goes Blog Talk Radio already shitting the bed. Um. Oh. Correction, I guess that was our video feed that uh, shit the bed. Thank you for that, Andrew. Um, Block Talk Radio is actually still running. Knock on wood. Let me not jinx that. Anyway, let me not uh, belabor this any further. Let's get into the week's MMA news, shall we? As always, My Take Radio's MMA segment is brought to you by MMA Warehouse. Get all the latest and greatest MMA gear by heading over to MMAWarehouse.com. Check out some of the banners on RageWorks.net or MyTakeRadio.com to save on free shipping or get some free stuff. I believe there is a giveaway for a Josh Barnett autographed glove. As always, look for the banners on MyTakeRadio.com and RageWorks.net. Okay, so I want to talk about UFC Fight Night which, again, such a great card relegated to UFC Fight Pass, much like the UFC Japan card, which is going down this weekend, which, again, just an amazing card. Mark Hunt taking on uh, the one and only big country, Roy Nelson, really excited for that fight, bummed that it's relegated to Fight Pass. Also, Misha Tate is taking on uh, the very, very dangerous Rin Nakai, which is going to be a great fight. If you've been seeing the hype videos for that, especially for the Misha tate Rin Nakai fight. They have been rather interesting, to say the least. All right, so as I said, UFC Fight Night 51 was surprisingly solid. A um, couple of things, of course. The fight was emanating from Brazil, and there were a, a lot of solid fights. I do want to talk about one of the prelim fights, Johnny Bedford, Ronnie Yaya on the bantamweight side of things. A very, very good fight, especially a fight that put Ronnie Yaya back on the everybody's radar on the bantamweight side of things Um, he secured a victory in the second round with a very very beautiful kimura Uh, definitely a solid solid performance paulo tiago also fought on that card taking on sean spencer in a fight that pretty much was as to be expected not to say that paulo tiago doesn't have a killer instinct but um it was it was exactly what you would expect it did end in unanimous decision but it ended in the favor of sean spencer Again, not a big deal, but um, something that I expected the fight to be a little more exciting. Definitely not as good as I had hoped. But the Deshaun johnson um, Godofredo pepe fight was fantastic. Uh, Godofredo secured the victory with a beautiful triangle armbar in 4 minutes, 29 seconds of the first round. Uh, basically, he had secured the triangle armbar combination, and then he swept into the full armbar to fold the submission from Mount uh, very awesome technique, uh, very beautiful submission that I got to see. Um, again, thoroughly, thoroughly impressed with Pepe's performance, definitely making an impact on the featherweight side of things. On the ladies' side, Jessica Andrade took on Larissa Pacheco in a very, very solid fight. The ladies continue to impress on MMA cards. Um, Val is telling me that my video is a bit off. How off? What are you seeing, Val? I'm curious, just because the video here is um, it's good. Unless it's on the GFQ side of things, maybe try to refresh. I know that Andrew had to dial back in to get me set up. Uh, not sure. In any event, as always, you can catch the video on the archive. But keep me posted in any event. Anyway, as I said, the ladies definitely stole the show. Jessica Andrade with a beautiful, uh, beautiful technique showing... Uh, incredible durability. She was eating a lot of strikes uh, in the early going from Pacheco. And um, I, you know, I felt that the fight was very exciting. It definitely made Andrade look uh, like she belonged in the UFC. Not to say that she didn't, but the technique was definitely solid. Uh, the ladies, as I've said before, continued to impress, and it was a great uh, showing, especially for the audience in Brazil. Now, I do want to talk about this particular, and, and this this fight I was I was a little bummed out about, and that was the Andre Orlovsky antonio Silva fight. Um, Arlovsky and Silva are meeting for the second time, and I expected this fight to go a little longer. Not to say that I wasn't excited about the finish, but I expected the fight to go a little longer just because I wanted to see a bit more of Arlovsky's durability at work, but you know what? He wasn't having any of that, and he actually secured the victory with a beautiful right hand, knocking Antonio Bigfoot Silva out cold. And then, of course, the academic hammer fist to put it away. Um, Andre Olovsky winning back in the UFC with a beautiful knockout finish of Antonio Bigfoot Silva in the first round. Now, the funny thing is, and this is something that jumped out at me, a lot of people were talking about uh, Andre Olovsky's chin, uh, his success outside of the UFC, I've always felt that Andre Orlovsky, the guy is uh he weighed in at two hundred and forty eight pounds and honestly I think that if he really applied himself, I, I have a feeling Andre Orlovsky could probably make two oh five and fight at light heavyweight because he really does look like a like a small uh like a like a smaller heavyweight and I think maybe he could probably make two oh five. I I'm curious to see if it's ever been attempted, but um Antonio Bigfa Silva came in at the, at the limit at 264 pounds and not to say that Silva was exposed because he's been a, he's been tremendous. But I think that considering the caliber of fighters that he's, that he's fought and how he's been finished, it, it definitely raises an eyebrow. I mean, a lot of people were talking about the fact that, you know, he destroyed Alistair Overeem and a lot of people were saying, you know, Antonio Silva, he just needed to hit his stride and, and get his camp in order. But I do feel that his performance against Kane and his performance against Andre Orlovsky are indicators that um, you know things are things aren't what they seem. In the sense that he's he's a great competitor at heavyweight, but I do feel that Andrei Arlovski, some people are going to say he got lucky, but I definitely feel that Antonio Silva, um, while not a contender at heavyweight, is starting to fall into gatekeeper status. I'm curious, as always, if you guys feel the same way, uh, let me know in the chat, or feel free to drop me a line, uh, 347-324-3541 to discuss. But overall, a solid card. I felt that we were we were screwed out of seeing um, a great performance on cable, but it's understandable. This fight, the the fight card for Japan, when I go through some of the fights, you're, you're going to probably feel the same way I do about the fact that we kind of got... Uh, we, we kind of got played in not getting that card here in the States. I mean, I know that the airtime is 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 one of the factors, but we could have at least got that card on tape delay, and I'll get into that in a few minutes. Anyway, uh, $50,000 bonuses were handed out for UFC Fight Night 51. Of course, Andre Arlovsky did take a $50,000 Performance of the Night bonus. Uh, Godafredo Pepe did take also fifty k for his performance, and Fight of the Night went to Gleason Tibau and Piotr Hallman and the reason I didn't go into that fight was because I ended up catching just the ending of that fight. So I probably am going to have to rewatch it either on the UFC YouTube channel or I'm going to have to rewatch that fight just to see how it played out completely. Um, as for the MMA news for the week, uh, first up, we got to talk about Nick Diaz this week. Nick Diaz got popped. Um, for DUI in California this is his second arrest of course Nick Diaz is scheduled to face Anderson Silva in January as soon as I read that news uh that bit of news I was I was bummed out because you know as well as I do that if this goes to trial and he gets convicted that fight is completely in jeopardy definitely bummed me out um he did submit a breathalyzer and was taken to a local jail but police are saying that he obstructed the investigation and attempted to destroy evidence he asked to use the restroom then tried to throw up after repeat after being repeatedly told to stop so he was released on his own recognizance and is scheduled to appear in court but like i said this puts a very very interesting spin on his potential fight with anderson silva because of course it was found out later on that that was his second arrest um I'm, I'm really concerned. I'm sure he was popped for for smoking weed, and um, you know you could take that you could take that for what it's worth and say what you will. But the fact is that um, you know there's conflicting reports saying that he was drunk. Others were saying that it was the weed. Um, but according to the DUI test and uh, the report that I received on, I believe it was from um, Bleacher Report, it was that he was sus- suspected of being drunk. Now, as I said, the 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 card itself is still on target, him facing Anderson Silva at UFC 183, still on target in January, but there definitely is a cause for concern. I'm sure Dana White was having a mini coronary as soon as he heard about it. Me personally, I feel um, that we're going to have to wait and see, and Nick Diaz is going to have to get himself a good lawyer, and you know, especially with two arrests back to back. To really ensure that he doesn't get screwed over and ends up getting community service, we'll see how it pans out. As always, if we get any updated news, we will share it with you guys. All right, so UFC Fight Night 52 is this Saturday. Now, before I break down the card, I'm going to break down the air times. Uh, the first preliminary fight begins at 12:30, 12:30 at night on UFC Fight Pass. And the main card begins at 3.30 Eastern Standard Time. Now, let me break down the fights for you, and you'll see why I'm so upset that this card is not being televised. Um, Maximo Blanco is going to be fighting on that card. He's going to be taking on uh, Daniel Hooker. Uh, Johnny Case is taking on Kazuki Tokudome. Um, Kyo Hyun Chang is taking on Michinori Tanaka. Um, Sam Cecilia is taking on Katsunori Kikuno. And Alex Casares is taking on Masunori Kanahara. Now, Originally, uh, the Kanahara fight was supposed to be with Uriah Faber. Uriah Faber got injured. Alex Alex Caceres stepped up to take his place, and he will be meeting uh, Masanori Kanahara in the prelims. Again, those will begin on UFC Fight Pass at twelve thirty a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, for the main card, uh, this has all the makings of a of a super crazy card. And I really hope that it lives up to those expectations. Um, of course, Rindakai, Misha Tate, uh, Amir Sadala makes his return to the cage. I'm sure many of you probably forgot that he existed, but he does still exist. He will be facing um, the one and only Yoshihiro Akayama. Also, Takanori Gomi, the fireball kid, one of my favorite fighters, will be taking on Miles Jury. Of course, your main event, Mark Hunt and Big Country Roy Nelson. Now, of course, like I said, Rindakai and Misha Tate, is one of the fights that really is on everyone's radar. Um, Rin Nakai, of course, being signed by the UFC, taking on the always dangerous uh, Misha Cupcake Tate. Um, a lot of people have been having a, a, a lot of interesting uh, opinions about Rin Nakai based on some of the fight videos that they've showed. Um, she is, without a doubt, a very, very interesting personality in Japan on the Japanese MMA circuit. But she is incredibly talented, extremely dangerous. And I have a suspicion that she is probably going to overpower Misha Tate. And she's going to end up using uh, her judo background and just her larger size to bully Misha Tate. I'm hoping for a competitive fight and not a mauling. But I'm kind of rooting for Rin Nakai. I feel that um, her, her pedigree and her background... Would be a natural fit in the UFC. Uh, Val says in the chat that she is going to destroy Misha Tate. Um, Val, if, if based on what you're saying, I'm sure that you've seen the videos yourself and you know what the deal is with Rin Nakai. Um, it's 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 definitely a very intriguing fight. I actually sent one of the fight hype videos to Slick, and even Slick was just like, "Holy shit!" You know, he was he was tripped out when he saw it. He said it. She's a beast. And it's true, it's it's going to be an exciting fight, and like I said, I'm bummed that we're not going to get to see that. As for Mark Hunt and Roy Nelson, that is going to be trademark Rock'em Sock'em Robots. These guys are going to beat the holy hell out of each other, and it's going to be amazing to watch. I, I really I really feel that um, Mark Hunt definitely has heavy... The, the, I, I almost want to say Mark Hunt has heavier hands... But, you know, no disrespect to Roy Nelson. Roy Nelson has napalm in his fist, too. It's going to be a tremendous fight. This is one of those fights that embodies what the heavyweight division is all about. These are guys, they go out there, serious knockout power, and the fight can end like this, in the blink of an eye. Real, real destructive power from both guys. I'm curious to see what it does for them in terms of rankings. Just because Mark Hunt had that huge war with um, Antonio Bigfoot Silva and, of course, Big Country Nelson is always in the hunt, always in the picture. I'd love to see one of these guys get an opportunity to compete for the heavyweight title. We'll see what happens ranking-wise after this card. Uh, Communique from Slick. Slick says, I love Misha Tate, but rest in peace. (laughs) Well said, well said. So... There's been a couple of uh, further staff changes on the Bellator side of things. Uh, Scott Coker will be joined by Jason Jordan. He will be the chief operating officer for Bellator. Um, it definitely interesting because, you know, Bellator is going through a, a huge restructuring period. Uh, we They're putting on cards once again on Spike TV. The cards are running a little cleaner. Um, the fights are more exciting, minus the Tito Ortiz-Stefan Bonner incident. But, Overall, I do feel that Bellator is delivering um, some really, really good cards. Now, before we get into the week's wrestling segment, I did want to kind of touch a little bit on a couple of things on the MMA side of things. Uh, First and foremost, if you are watching UFC events and you kind of feel a little left out, do yourself a favor. Make sure to check out other promotions. If you have Time Warner Cable, Files. Make sure to check out Access TV. They usually have like one one FC or Legacy Fighting Championships or Titan Fighting Championships, and check out some of those cards as well. And the only reason I want to I, I mention that is because sometimes a lot of fighters that have pretty solid careers in other organizations make their way to the UFC, and instantly people start saying, uh, "Oh, this guy's a can," etc., etc. Do yourselves a favor, educate yourselves, go to Share Dog, look up the background. Uh I was talking about the uh the Misha Tate Rin Nakai fight with with one of my coworkers and he was like, "Yo, I've never even heard of this chick. Is she is she good?" And you know, not to say that people don't know the world of MMA outside of the UFC bubble or in the words of Stain Lane or a or a Zuffa zombie, but I always try to tell people take a moment, use utilize YouTube, Sherdog, sure whatever you can Look up a lot of these fighters. Uh, Same thing with this season of The Ultimate Fighter with the ladies. A lot of these ladies, this isn't their first rodeo. They've had uh, fights in numerous organizations. Do yourself a favor. Look up any Invicta cards. Check those out. If you do have UFC Fight Pass, you know what you got to do. But definitely look outside of the box. I mean, a lot of people, and the reason I'm talking about this is because of a discussion we had about Fedor. And people were saying, oh, you know, Fedor, he came to Strike Force, he got his ass beat. And I had to, I had to really let people know. Like, listen, you got to look up Fedor's fights in Pride. This Fedor is a legend. He is one of the one of the biggest, you know, one of the biggest legends in mixed martial arts. Uh, the guy went out there and he had an incredible run uh, with a murderer's row of opponents, and I mean, dangerous, dangerous guys that that he faced off. And yeah, t- towards the later part of his career, um, you know, the losses they did catch up with him, but that doesn't take away from him as a fighter or as a performer. I think Fedor is one of the best guys to never fight in the UFC and is incredibly dangerous. I think if Fedor came into the UFC now, he could probably make the cut to 205 and make a a decent dent in the 205-pound division of the UFC. But alas, that may never happen. But who knows? Uh, Things can always change. But as of right now, uh, Fedor is retired. But on the women's MMA side of things, the Gina Carano... UFC dance continues to happen. Um, there was a rumor a while back that Gina Carano was going to be making her way to Bellator uh, because they ha- have a brand new... They're kind of uh, reinvigorating the their women's division. I don't know how legitimate that rumor is. I do feel that the bigger payday fight, obviously, for Gina is in the UFC. But considering the level of competition and how more and more dangerous women are being signed on a consistent basis it's not gonna be a cakewalk for her. I'm not saying that she should come in and get the title shot, and I've said this before, but I do feel that if she comes in, even if she takes on Kat Zingano or Holly Home or even Misha Tate or Rid Nakai, she's definitely in for a very, very interesting fight. Any of those any of those ladies will definitely give Gina Carano a hard time, and that's only because Gina Carano's strengths have always have always been in her Muay Thai. I've never really seen her utilize a ground game. I also know that. I also say this because her fights never went that far. But if the cyborg fight was any indication, I definitely think that she's, um, you know, she's not going to be able to bull rush her way through, you know, fighting uh, a Zingano or a Holly Home or a Rin Nakai. Just because the power that these ladies display is 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 very very real and and very dangerous. I mean, they got knockout power. They got good wrestling it's it's not going to be the same and and i mean a lot of people can make a case that Gina Carano's fights in Strike Force were they were they were in her best fights but you also have to look at it from the standpoint that you're taking a woman who was considered the premier athlete in mixed martial arts who pretty much blazed the trail for the Ronda Rouseys of the world the Misha Tates you know everybody was talking about Uh, Gina Carano long before they were talking about any of these other ladies and part of that obviously is the UFC marketing machine but we got to give the devil its due and you know Gina Carano definitely is still a factor with regards to women's mixed martial arts now is she going to remain a permanent fixture when she makes her return to the UFC that remains to be seen obviously the allure of Hollywood for a lot of these martial artists is is definitely a very, very big factor in where their careers go. I mean, GSP is a great example of that. Uh, The same can be said for um, Ronda Rousey and even Gina Carano, considering that, what, she's been in, I think, three movies, four movies now. I haven't checked her, her IMDb lately, but... You know, she, she, she's she been in a couple of movies and I'm sure that there's going to be more opportunities if she makes her way to a bigger platform. So I just want to tell you guys in closing, definitely do your research, um, especially if you're trying to learn more about the sport. Um, try and watch some of the smaller promotions, some of the independent stuff, because you never know. Your favorite fighter may be fighting in an organization you've never even heard of. And it's a good way to start kind of building your knowledge if you're just coming into MMA. And the reason I'm saying this, like I said, is because... I've, I've received more more often than not inquiries about, you know, what fight should I watch first? What card should I watch first? Et cetera, et cetera. And I pretty much direct people to, you know, old Pride Fighting, old Strike Force, WEC stuff, even old UFC stuff if you want to see, you know, when, when shit was really crazy with the Tank Abbott's and the Dan Severn's, Hoist Gracie, Ken Shamrock, Frank Shamrock, Tito, the, those guys. You know, if those are names that you recognize from. Uh, the mainstream media or from just overall press. I try to tell people to go that route as well. Anyway, that is actually going to, oh yeah, K1. Thank you, Val. Of course, K1. uh, Definitely give that some love as well. K1 kickboxing. If you're not a fan of the ground game of of MMA, you can check out uh, promotions like K1, Glory. Uh, Those guys put amazing Muay Thai kickboxing matches. Uh, A lot of great talent comes out of there. Tyrone Spong, um, our very own Al- the demolition man, Alistair Overeem, uh, Melvin Manoff, who is actually fighting tomorrow on Bellator, um, taking on Doug Marshall. Uh, again, just d- do yourselves a favor, educate yourselves. I know a lot of guys are, are talking about just their disillusion with with professional boxing, um, and they don't want to get into MMA. Like I said, because of you know they're not fans of the ground game, etc. You know, start with with a couple of K1 fights. Maybe watch a little K1 if you want to go that route. Or and you know just grab it. If, go from there again you know i I just try to grow the sport that i enjoy and try to educate people along the way all right so mma news are a wrap for this week like i said i didn't get a chance to watch the ultimate fighter i'm probably going to watch it after we wrap up tonight's show but um let's get into the week's wrestling news because man oh man (laughs) there there's definitely a lot of stuff to discuss booker t Take it away. We want the gold, sucker! Hogan, we coming for you, nigga! My Take Radio's wrestling segment is brought to you by wweshop.com. Use our promo code wwesave10 to save $10 on orders of $70 or more by heading over to wweshop.com and using our promo code wwesave10. Also, make sure to check out our banners on RageWorks.net and mytakeradio.com for other specials and promotions as well, either free shipping or other promo codes. All right, so... Let's talk about Monday Night Raw this week because man oh man, it's the last Raw before the Night of Champions pay-per-view. And I say that in quotes, obviously, because at this stage of the game, if you're not watching pay-per-views on the WWE network and you're being railroaded by cable companies for fifty and sixty bucks, you're a fucking idiot. Sorry to say. Do yourselves a favor, bag the network. It's nine ninety nine. You make the The value in the network comes from NXT and the pay-per-views like this. You'll feel better about yourselves because of it. And the original programming is quite good, especially the Monday Night War. Um, Legends House was very good and some of the other documentaries as well. But with that said, let's get into this week's Raw, which pretty much for, as I said, the the, the go-home show for a pay-per-view was incredibly disjointed. Um it really just didn't have a lot of redeeming moments and the funny thing was when I was writing the 3Rs column which we write every week uh the 3Rs of wrestling uh the right the ridiculous and the Rossum, uh usually we we try and do Monday Night Raw and when applicable Impact or SmackDown or NXT um in this instance the last couple of times I've been writing this column I've I've really felt that there's just no no awesome moments there's good moments, but just the awesomeness of 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 a, a pre pay-per-view Raw is lost. I mean, it's been happening. More times than I'd care to admit, and as much as I like to come on here and rant and rave about professional wrestling, I really try to support the business as much as I can, uh, whether it's programming or telling people about certain promotions. So, uh, don't misunderstand. I-, I I love coming on here and ranting about the bullshit and having a good time with you guys, but I I want the product to be better, especially when you have such a wealth of great talent. And I'm not even talking about talent on the main roster, but up and coming. To- talent as well. And we're just I don't know. I don't know if it's the booking, the continued power struggle between um Triple H and Vince McMahon, but the product just the last couple of weeks has been fucking ridiculous. Anyway, so we start we start raw off with Paul Heyman doing uh typical Paul Heyman stuff. Um, John Cena comes out pretty much threatening to whoop Paul Heyman's ass by halftime if Brock Lesnar doesn't show up. So I want to get into that because that was a big factor, the whole halftime thing with regards to Raw's programming. And I'll touch on that a little bit more later on in the segment. But as a whole, it was was good, but it wasn't until later on when Paul Heyman turned it up to 11. The opening segment was not that great, but Paul Heyman made a strong case in the later part of the broadcast that really just tied everything together. But anyway, let's get into the first match of the night. It was Kane and Chris Jericho in a very, very solid match, probably one of the better Kane matches I've seen in the last couple of weeks. I do feel that Kane is a, is a very, and I've talked about this before, uh, still a serviceable character. I know, I know Josh... When, when I've spoken to him, he speaks about Kane like Kane is a piece of shit. But it's funny, and I've talked about this before, just Kane still has a place in, in the world of WWE programming. I do feel that his run as an in-ring performer definitely should start being scaled back and we should start doing more with the corporate Kane persona, whether it's making him a GM or making him a manager with the occasional involvement in matches a la a player coach, only because Kane still has something to provide the business. For for those of you that have been following wrestling for, for the last 20 years, you know that Kane has been a fixture, whether it's feuding with The Undertaker or been involved in some of the crazier angles in Professional wrestling. I mean, Katie Vick is definitely not something we want to talk about and remember, but Kane was involved in that as well. And besides, you know, he still has something to add to the product. Now, I'm not saying he's going to get a world title run because I doubt that's going to happen, but I feel that Kane's tenure definitely warrants something more meaningful than being a lackey for the authority. Or or being a, a henchman for Randy Orton, I think there's more to Kane. Uh, one of the things I've talked about is utilizing Kane in his corporate Kane persona as a manager for the Ascension, uh, because obviously the Ascension are making a run to the main roster. I think that given the the strength of, of of the promo work from those guys, Kane would be a welcome addition to that stable. And like I said, in a player coach uh, type of dynamic where you know he's he's capable of mixing it up with wrestlers, but also uh, building himself up as a manager. I think Kane is well-spoken enough and has enough of a presence that it would work. I mean, you know, that's one thing that I always found funny when Kevin Nash would kind of be a manager for some of these smaller guys because you knew that Kevin Nash was bound to get involved in some capacity, but the strength of just his presence was 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 a good a good talking point, especially if it was a guy that was that big and was still... Um, you know, uh, a force in the ring. Uh Jay says Kane was not voted on the WWE countdown of greatest big men blasphemy. Are you fucking kidding me, Jay? You're joking, right? Holy shit. See, this is this is why sometimes I I can't I can't watch some of these shows cuz I I that'll be a separate thing. All right. So, now that Jay was kind enough to bring that to my attention, I'm going to I'm going to share my top 10, top 10 big guys in professional wrestling. Andre the Giant, Big John Studd, The Undertaker, Kane, Mark Henry, The Big Show, Sid Vicious, Kevin Nash. Those are those are eight thus far. I would probably kind of throw in the Big Boss Man. I like the Big Boss Man. Um, he was really good. And you know, it, it's weird and not necessarily a big guy. But I kind of want to throw in there Abyss as well. Abyss is um definitely in that top ten list. Um not my my number five pick, but definitely at least 10, 9 or ten. Um Jay says Mark Henry wasn't on the list. And this is the kind of stuff that when we talk when we see lists like this, and I'm gonna get into one with regards to Cena's rivals that I wanna discuss. It really bums me out obviously because this is this is a skewed list for for WWE programming, but a guy like Kane should definitely be on that list. This is a guy that did that delivered a tombstone pile Driver on Linda McMahon uh, set Jim Ross on fire um, had legendary matches with the Undertaker was in an incredible feud with Shane McMahon, with Shane McMahon of all people. And, and, to, and to see that he wasn't included on that sort of a list is just, it, it's incredibly disheartening. I mean, you know, for anybody that says, oh, the great Kali," do yourself a favor, walk outside, find the most busy intersection in your neighborhood, and jump right in the middle of it. Because the great, you know, the, the average Kali is exactly that, average. The only good thing the Great Kali brought to brought to the equation was the Punjabi prison match because it was so over the top and ridiculous. But other than that, the Great Kali has done nothing. The same could be said for a guy like Giant Gonzalez. Same shit. You know? Or or the guy that used to be um, Carlito's bodyguard. Um I believe his name was Jesus. That guy. That guy came and went. Nobody gave a shit about that guy. He was terrible. The only guy, and this guy, I don't even know if you want to put him on the big guy list, that was mildly entertaining was Tyson Tomko. Um, Bull Buchanan was another big guy that was, that was all right. Definitely not a guy I'd put on my top 10 list. Uh, but, you know, still, still serviceable big guy. Um, you know, earthquake was on the list. Thank you, Jade. See, that's not too bad. Earthquake and typhoon, uh, the natural disasters were really good. Uh, you know what? On that top ten list that I gave you of my of of, of big men, I probably am, should be fucking beaten beaten up for not including King Kong Bundy. Uh, King Kong King Kong Bundy was a great big guy. Uh, you know, I. It, that's the thing. the The dynamic and the the definition of big guys can be looked at two ways super tall guys, you know, over the six foot mark or super big guys. Uh, for me personally, you know, I use it one in the same, uh, slick just shared with me the video of Kane Lynn giving a tombstone to Linda McMahon. <laughs> Thank you for that slick. Uh, good. I'm glad Jay told me that King Kong Bundy was on that list. See, it's not terrible, but, um, yeah, I'm bummed out that Mark Henry or Kane weren't on that list. All right. So I want to talk about this Jack Swagger-Bo Dallas rivalry. And the reason I want to get into it is because they had a match. um, It was a pretty good match, not too bad. A little back-and-forth action. Jack Swagger definitely continuing to improve in the ring. Bo Dallas still not sold. I mean, he's mildly entertaining, but I don't feel... um, I don't feel that, that Jack Swagger is benefiting from a feud with Bo Dallas. On the contrary, I kind of feel that Jack Swagger is just... Treading water right now after such a, a decent program with Rusev, it almost feels like it's a step down to feud with a guy like Bo Dallas. But in any event, the match itself was was pretty entertaining. I do feel uh, Jack Swagger in the upper card as long as he maintains his elite his relationship with Zeb Coulter is it should be a staple. Uh, Bo Dallas, I don't know who the hell's making his ring ge- his ring gear, but his trunks never fit him um, the way they should, and they always look like a diaper. You ever you ever seen a baby? that has shit in his diaper and the diaper's kind of baggy and moves around, that's pretty much Bo Dallas's ring gear, just baggy diaper. And it really doesn't help that that he's, his teeth are just so fucking yellow. Like, dude, you know, Rembrandt, buy a bottle of Rembrandt for $8 and fucking wash out your mouth once a day for 30 fucking minutes, dude. Please, please do yourself that favor because your teeth are fucking god-awful. Your teeth should not look like Gene Snitsky's teeth. Which he had that way for his gimmick. You don't have shitty teeth as part of your gimmick. You're on television every fucking week. Please, Whitener, use that shit. And get some better fucking ti- get some tights too. Because them, them baggy diapers are not doing you any favors. Jay adds, Bo looks like a Cabbage Patch, <laughs> like a Cabbage Patch Kid. <laughs> like an unclothed Cabbage Patch Kid. Yep, that actually works, does. Anyway. AJ Lee and Bree Bella took on Paige and Nikki Bella in a pretty decent match. Out of nowhere, Paige got another finisher, the Rampage, um, which was a uh, DDT variation. And here's the thing. Paige has the PTO, the Page Turner, and now the Rampage. She has three finishers. Why? Can somebody give one of those finishers to Roman Reigns, please? Because seriously, that spear shit is getting old. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. Having multiple finishers is good, but it almost feels like they don't know which finisher is going to be her default finisher. Like, we we know um, AJ Lee was doing the Shining Wizard for a while, and then she started doing the Black Widow submission. We got it. With Paige, it's like, that's ah, the PTO for one chick, the Paige Turner for another chick. Oh, we're going to give you another finisher this time around. Um, the match itself was all angle advancement. I continue to not be a fan of bringing the Bellas into the title picture feud, but um, it's it's one of those things where it they're they're trying to they're trying to merge both sections of, of their of their main diva stories just because I guess there's just not enough time on television to to dedicate to each particular storyline, and you can make you could take that for what it's worth. Me personally, I felt that um, it was a good outing by all four ladies. I did feel um. Nikki Bella, her, her wrestling, for for as little as we saw, was okay. I still feel Brie Bella's wrestling has improved a bit. But, at the end of the day, this was more angle advancement for Paige and AJ's story than anything else. Um, again, not terrible, but definitely could have been a smidge better. Now, I want to talk about this, because this Bray Wyatt Big Show shit is it I'm um, I just I'm so not sold on it Bray Wyatt should at minimum at minimum be in contention for 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 a bigger title you know he shouldn't be feuding with the fucking big show or or whatever I mean there's a rumor that he's going to start feuding with Dolph Ziggler why this is your most intriguing character your most intriguing character and you're you're shoving him into a feud with the big show why or you're going to shove him into a feud with Dolph Ziggler depending on 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 what you read why as i've said bray wyatt needs to be utilized the same way that the joker was utilized in the dark knight he just needs to be an agent of chaos an agent of destruction uh uh, excuse me an agent of destruction an agent of destruction what the fuck an agent of destruction that's it. He should be beating up heels, faces, announcers, um stealing titles just because he can. Just chaos, just complete and utter chaos. They should be they should be causing on that on that program. They should be everywhere causing all kinds of shit. And you know, I just I just feel that Bray Wyatt is he was at the top, at the top of the fucking food chain. I almost felt that he was, he was due for a title run sooner rather than later. And instead it's the big show or, or having them squashed by John Cena. It's, it's incredibly disheartening because they spent so much time and energy just, you know, working on this guy's entrance, working on this guy's gimmick. Um, you know, the singing little girl, the candles, the, 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 the cell phones when he comes out all this work and you're flushing it all down the drain for what reason i just don't understand and i really would like you know I'd, I'd like somebody to to really clarify that to me because every every person i've asked it's just like oh you know they just don't have anything for bray wyatt the title picture is kind of crowded what title picture how is it crowded how it's john cena brock lesnar and no one else that's it And this is what I've talked about. There's no, you know, there's no, there's nobody else after John Cena for Brock Lesnar that looks remotely credible. And don't get me wrong, sacrificing Bray Wyatt to Brock Lesnar may not be the answer, but at least it's something unique, something different. Imagine a promo between Paul Heyman and Bray Wyatt. Like, Paul Heyman coming out, you know, my client is not a fan of you involving yourself in his match, blah, 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 and then, you know, Bray Wyatt could talk about, you know, your, your client is a pampered baby, and, you know, I'm just gonna rain fire and destruction on him because he, he brings nothing to no one, and he swears that he's the beast incarnate while I'm the eater of worlds. You know, it's just it's just good storytelling, and it's utilized in a, in a, in a better dynamic than it is now. Why would you sacrifice, like I said, a guy like Bray Wyatt to the fucking Big Show. It's stupid. And like I said, then you're going to put him in a feud with Dolph Ziggler. It's going to do no one any favors. No one. And And you know, I'm just I'm just dumbfounded. And again, I'm going to get into certain things with regards to Cena's booking that are being that are being reported on from various news outlets. But I just don't understand where it went wrong with the Wyatt's. And until I figure it out and, and I can really give you guys something unique, I'm just going to continue to express my frustration at their misuse. All right, so... We had ourselves a six-man tag match with the Usos and Sheamus taking on uh, the Dust Brothers and Cesaro in a very, very solid match. I definitely feel all the participants were running at 150% to give us an entertaining match. I really feel that Cesaro is is going to benefit tremendously from winning the title from Sheamus, only because I know that's going to be a hard-hitting match, and Sheamus isn't a shitty performer. On the contrary, Sheamus is a solid performer. The only problem with Sheamus and always will be that his gimmick when he's a face is boring his wrestling is always solid But his performances as a face just they just don't work. Cesaro, meanwhile, definitely can benefit from some sort of a title run because he's another guy who's who's ready. He's ready for that upper level push. And you know, if rumors are to be believed, Vince McMahon doesn't feel that he's he's worthy of being a main event guy because he's too pretty, or you know, or or he's too well spoken, or very European, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Again, if that's to be believed. And, and and that's fucking stupid. Antonio Cesaro's well spoken, multilingual and would make a tremendous ambassador for the company. Whether as a world champion or even as a as a mid card upper card champion, he definitely is, he definitely deserves a run or at least an opportunity to compete for the belt. There's no reason why you're going to bring these guys over, you're going to build them up and then you're just going to leave them there. It, it makes no sense to me you're gonna relegate these guys into this mid card hell and that's gonna be that I just don't understand it. I really don't but in any event Jay went on Jay added in the chat this is why I said I prefer the split brands and separate belts and you know what the crazy thing is Jay with 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 that logic I definitely have to agree with you. If you're going to have split brands and you're going to showcase these guys effectively with split brands and then you're going to bring the brands together. And like I've said, you almost got eight hours of television and you still can't do right by any of these guys. Then what the fuck point is it? What's the point of having that much TV if you're not going to do anything? Just uh, at least like I've said, maybe bring back a TV title. And have that. At least you can give them uh, the mid card guys something more to aspire to. Maybe you know, make it a step below the IC belt. So you got a TV title which has to be defended on every program, on every televised program. The title has to be defended. That would be the rule. Then you got your tag team belts, your US and IC title, which I'm sure are going to be unified at some point. And then you got your big gold belt. That's that's how I see it. I always feel that there's value in a television title especially with all the TV that WWE has at its disposal. I'm not saying you got to defend the 24-7 like the hardcore title, but at minimum, you should see it defended maybe on main event or on SmackDown or even on NXT just to allow these individuals the opportunity to, to get television time and this would be a title that can change hands on TV and people would actually be excited. Imagine this. You establish a TV title. The TV title gets defended on NXT. If the if the guy from NXT wins the TV title, you would use that to come up to the main roster. You would use the TV title as an out to perform in front of a bigger audience. You can actually use that as a great meal ticket out of NXT. Imagine that. You take, you take the TV title. Say you put the TV title. I'll give you guys a good example. You put the TV title on a guy like Zack Ryder. Again, just an example. Zack Ryder defends the belt successfully on Raw, and he defends it successfully on main event. And a guy like, I don't know, Tyler Breeze decides that he feels he's ready to make a shot, uh, make a run at, you know, the main roster, and challenges Zack Ryder to come down to NXT and defend that television title. Next thing you know, Zack Ryder comes down, he defends it against a guy like Tyler Breeze, Breeze wins, boom, you bring that guy up to the roster. And that's just a nice way to bring a guy out of NXT without having to do this lengthy story or this or all these video packages and etc etc. These guys in NXT are already established. And if you don't want to try and find ways to bring them out, you can use the lure of a title to do that. Nothing wrong with that. It's the same thing like TNA did with the X Division title at Destination X, where they were able to uh, cash in their X Division title to compete for a world title. I mean, why couldn't you do that at Night of Champions where a D.Va, you know, a, the, an NXT champion like Adrian Neville can def- put his belt on the line, uh, you know, or turn his belt in and get an opportunity at a champion of his choosing. Or maybe you have someone like Charlotte make a run at the Divas title, you know, based on that. It is Night of Champions after all, but, you know, and, and it's crazy to me like this is stuff that I can come up with off the cuff. And the first thing that's going to come to mind is people are going to say, oh, Rich, you know, you're doing a lot of armchair booking. You don't understand that a lot goes into booking a product or, you know, booking television, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, that's fine. Jay, Jay says, ever try booking on a wrestling game with a 40-man roster? It's impossible. You know what it is? Again, you have eight, almost eight hours of television time. You can book everyone in meaningful feuds. You can And then anybody who's not, you can showcase those guys on main event or superstars or NXT. There's a way around it. I understand where you're coming from, Jay, but I can't make excuses for creative because creative has the tools. The tools are the superstars. Simple as that. Anyway, so I want to get into and this 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 right here is where I said Paul Heyman and and John Cena were at the top at the top of their game. So Paul Heyman, John Cena drags out Paul Heyman with his headlock, his sixth move of Doom, brings Paul Heyman to the ring, talking shit, etc., etc., etc. And then Paul Heyman just turns the corner and he's like, "You're not going to hit me, John, because you know you're a coward," and etc., etc., etc. All of a sudden, you know, he shoves Paul Heyman out. Brock Lesnar's music hits. They have themselves in an exchange and um. You know, it was, it, was, it was a great exchange, but it was Paul Heyman that made that segment gold. Not only that, but again, he just brings something unique out of John Cena. Now, this leads me to what I was talking about with a John Cena heel turn. So, I want you guys to, to stick with me a second, and I'm going to give you guys legitimate armchair booking. And, I, and I'm curious I, I definitely want to hear what Jay has to say about it and um, slick I know I know you are experiencing some PC issues but I know you're listening but I you know I definitely like to hear your thoughts as well So here's my theory Paul Heyman has said repeatedly that the only way to beat the beast is to become the beast quote unquote I'm you know I'm I'm paraphrasing so here's a crazy spin all right Knight of Champions Brock Lesnar John Cena they're going through their match et cetera et cetera et cetera. John Cena starts to make a comeback. All of a sudden, Brock Lesnar is, you know, whooping John Cena's ass, getting him ready for the F5. All of a sudden, Paul Heyman comes in, and he chop blocks Brock Lesnar. John Cena pins Brock Lesnar, wins the belt, and after he's holding the belt up, he jumps down, walks up to Paul Heyman. The crowd is getting ready to go fucking crazy because Paul Heyman's going to get his ass kicked and John Cena shakes his fucking hand. Imagine that. And this is, the reasoning why, this is the reason why I came up with this. After Brock Lesnar defeats John Cena, who is left to challenge Brock Lesnar? Well, here's a thought. Turn John Cena, get another match out of him, and Brock Lesnar then can become aligned with the authority. So you don't basically, you don't even have to turn Cena heel, you just have to keep him the same in a similar capacity like CM Punk was, and when Paul Heyman is asked, why did you do it, you could say, you know, Paul Heyman can say, I think it was time to align with the future of this company to align with the individual that's best for business. And you can just use that as the catalyst. The fact that Brock Lesnar didn't want to compete every week and Paul Heyman had to make excuses for him. That could be the greatest swerve of all time. You would basically have NWO Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff courtesy of John Cena and Paul Heyman. Tell me that is not the best fucking booking in the game. And this this works twofold. Brock Lesnar then aligns himself with the authority, which in turn still gives Brock Lesnar a a mouthpiece in the form of Triple H. And it also keeps Brock Lesnar's schedule the way it is because, you know, Triple H can say, you know what, I gave Brock the night off, he could come back. And, and, you know, he can come back when I deem him worthy and take the title. And then you can continue the alliance between John Cena and Paul Heyman for the foreseeable future. And it works, like I said, twofold. You're not turning Cena completely heel, but you're also allowing him to embrace a side that only Paul Heyman being involved with him can make work. Because obviously turning Cena heel, if what's been said on the internet is to be believed is of concern because they don't want to lose merchandise sales. Well, if you align Cena with Paul Heyman, you in essence kind of really turn Heyman to a degree and you don't really give up John Cena. And when John Cena gets asked, well, why'd you align yourself with Paul Heyman? And he could say, because I got tired of the company taking advantage of me and not investing in me. That's all you got to say. I got tired of the authority. I got tired of the bullshit. Paul Heyman opened my eyes. And to beat the Beast, I had to become the Beast. And for that, I'm grateful. Because all that matters is this. And, you know, he points at the belt and whatever. Jay says, someone put up a meme comparing Anakin and Palpatine to Cena and Heyman. And you know what? That analogy is, is pretty accurate. But imagine that, and this is, like I said, what you end up doing. You end up getting another match between Cena and Lesnar, except the roles are reversed, and it's now Brock Lesnar out for revenge for being betrayed, and Cena being a Heyman guy. And like I said, you could tweak John Cena's music, he comes out, and you know, same thing, Paul Heyman, before I introduce my client, Mr. Cena, a multimedia superstar, the face of the company, and you know, he just comes out, and it's just an easy way to turn Cena without really turning Cena. What do you guys think? Would it work? Would you guys, would you guys be pumped if that happened? Imagine that, just Night of Champions, Brock Lesnar's about to win, everybody's like, alright, we knew it was gonna happen. Heyman gets involved, Cena gets the pin, handshake with Paul Heyman, how fucking insane would that be? I'd mark out, I really would, it would be the NWO, it would be the Hogan turn, because it would be masterful, it would be huge, it would be unexpected, nobody would see that coming, nobody, that's all I'm saying, but again... Armchair booking from yours truly, but definitely something that I feel makes the most sense. Keeps both guys in the title picture until you can build up somebody who's a legitimate, worthy challenger, or till Daniel Bryan comes back. And even still, if John Cena's aligned with Paul Heyman, you can create a brand new list of challengers of guys that feel betrayed that John Cena turned his back on the on on the locker room, or you know, people that are that are uh, that are upset that he's not the same John Cena, et cetera, et cetera. You could do so much with that without even having to work hard. That's it. It would be tremendous. Anyway, so we had this beautiful promo with John Cena and Paul Heyman, a great buildup for Sunday night's match. Again, it happened at the weirdest time, and then Cameron and Naomi happened. So Cameron and Naomi, um, they stunk up the joint and it wasn't even Naomi's fault and the worst fucking part is Cameron went for a pinfall with Naomi on her stomach so she does like an axe kick is on top of Naomi for a, a for a pin Naomi is on her stomach she says to the ref count and the ref says i can't count she's not on her back like it was the most awkward and most ridiculous thing i have ever seen it was horrifying and, and a lot of people are saying, oh, well, you know, there's a couple of different articles that are saying, well, they're doing that because Cameron's allegedly saying she's going to go down to NXT. But no, fuck that. That chick has been on the roster for how long? And all of a sudden, she forgets that you got to turn a chick over for the pin? Since when? On what fucking planet is that even possible? Give me a break. And these are, these are people like, oh, maybe that's where they're going with it. No, it was fucking stupid. The match was shit. And the fact that Naomi and Cameron are still feuding is ridiculous. I'm sorry. If you're not going to give Naomi an opportunity at the Divas title, then at least let her go down to NXT and compete down there for a little bit. Fucking bullshit. People are like, oh, well, you know, maybe it's part of the angle. I don't give a shit. I could understand if Cameron was on TV for two weeks, but that, that broad has been on TV for how many fucking months? Are you kidding me? Fucking, uh, I was, I was horrified. I was, I was legitimately horrified that people were trying to say that that was just adding this. Boo! Boo! That that pretty much sums up that match. It was, it was, it was terrible. It was, it was god awful. Oh my god! Ah! 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 Oh, that's better. Ah! 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 That's how I felt. That's legitimately how I felt about that match. I felt disgusted. And it doesn't happen often. I looked at that match and I said, okay, we had the Bellas. That had a decent match. A decent match. And then you have this. You have this. This on your television. This. It just, it just doesn't do it any favors. I was going to pull up the video clip, but I, I just don't want to throw up on air. I don't. Sorry. Jay said, "Reminds me when Steve Blackman got counted out by accident in his early debut." Yup, I remember that. I I do remember that. It was so crazy. And you know what the funny thing is that the refs, the refs, they gotta they gotta go with the punches. It's like if they gotta count three and that's not the finish, then then you're fucked. That's the finish. It's it's absurd. It really is absurd. Like I said, she'd get a pass if she was on TV for for a couple of weeks. But yo, you were a Funkadactyl, You've been in tag team matches. You've competed in singles competition, and all of a sudden, you don't know how to pin somebody. Nope, doesn't fly. I'm sorry. Anyway, so we got the Battle of the Stunt Doubles, uh, the Miz and Damian Mizdow against Dolph Ziggler and R. Ziggler. Now, couple of things with this match: the 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 the, the, the utilization, or or let me let me rephrase that. Both guys utilizing stunt doubles is amusing as fuck. The Miz actually makes this shit work. And the Miz needs a little bit, uh, he needs more people in his entourage besides that. He needs like a publicist. He needs, you know, he needs one guy you could bring up to be his publicist maybe. And another guy to be his like social media agent or something. and, And his stunt double. There, there's a rumor that they're saying that they're going to use Tyler Breeze and pair him with The Miz. If I were if I were the uh, if I were WWE, I would use Tyler Breeze as the Miz's image consultant and he would he would help The Miz not be an uggo and then you could bring Tyler Breeze up to the main roster. I I really thought that The Miz running with the Hollywood gimmick would get old very quickly, but the addition of Damian Sandow really makes it incredibly interesting. Meanwhile, Dolph Ziggler and, and R Truth you could you could make all the jokes you want, um, you know, but I'll be honest, R Truth is a very, very solid performer. And the fact that he can go out there and he can he can really add a different dynamic to to a tag team match still is great. I mean, people always expect R Truth to be out there shucking and jiving, playing the um you know, the the stereotypical hip-hop gimmick, but I think that if R-Truth went out there and just wrestled and just got involved and in, turned up the intensity a little bit and got involved in some really good matches, you can get a mid-card run out of R-Truth. I mean, the guy was a TNA World Heavyweight Champion, and before anybody says that, oh, that was because, you know, TNA was bullshit, when R-Truth was running, was running roughshod down there as Ron Killings, he was turning it up to a to another fucking level another level do yourselves a favor look up ron killings in tna and you'll understand our truth isn't just a shucking and jiving fucking embarrassment to to african americans everywhere he is a legit performer and it's funny because you know You know these guys, they go. Dolph Ziggler was funny because somebody said, "Um, you got R, you you know you have R, you have R Ziggler out there, and you know Vince McMahon really was calling R Truth R Niggler. You know he was. It's Dolph Ziggler and R Niggler. I'm telling you, it's gonna work. Send him out there. You can't call him that, Vince. What's the problem? Somebody call him that. Damn it. Nope, can't do it, Vince. That is offensive, and people will be offended. Why? It's still Dolph Ziggler and our... No, Vince, it's not going to work. <laughs> you know that's what happens. You know Vince is just a retro, old-school racist. You know he is. You know he is. I hate to say it, and I really don't want to, but this is a guy that, that had no problems with, our, with, with Mark Henry being called the Silverback. Just saying. This is the same guy that pretty much stereotypes... Every wrestler they got, I'm shocked that they didn't make Kenta dress up in a fucking kimono and serve tea to William Regal. Shocked, I tell you. Shocked. But in any event. (laughs) I'm sorry, Jay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was actually going to use that as a hashtag, and I said somebody wouldn't get the joke, and they would be offended. But you damn well know. And, And you know what the worst part is? That when you're listening to the commentary on the match, right? The announced team, they're really just trying, they really are finding ways to not make say that the reason that our truth is black. So it's like. Oh, well, you know, Dolph Ziggler's stunt double is in there, Our truth And he's like, that's not his stunt double. You can tell that they're two totally different guys. And then you see that they were like, yeah, but so were um, The Miz and Damian Mizdow. Oh, yeah, because he's got a beard. They were trying to find so many ways to not be like, of course he's not his stunt double because he's black. It was it was such a a, a cringe worthy amount of commentary, but it was such a good match that I almost could have watched it on mute because the match itself was incredibly good. But think about it. If you go back and you watch the YouTube clip of that match, you will see that they were just trying different ways to not be like our truth is black. That's why he can't be a stunt double. Jay says JBL is itching to say he's a Negro. Damn it. Yes. Yes. The fuck he is. Dude, I can almost guarantee you that JBL had to repeat R. Ziggler at least 25 times to make sure he didn't slip up and say what I just said earlier and, and call and call him R. Niggler. You know that. You know that. Or or R. Bligler. Black Ziggler. Bliggler. <laughs> You, dude, it's it's funny, it's it's terrible, but again, we we're, it's just jokes, folks. You know, we're saying it in satire. Don't don't get fucking offended if if you're listening. It's all for a good laugh. But I'm sorry to say it. Um, it, it's it's there. It is so there. And if you guys listen to the commentary again, you'll see exactly what I was talking about. Anyway. Let's get into the Seth Rollins-Roman Reigns match, which, of course, led to a wonderful interview segment with Seth Rollins where he called Roman Reigns a Samoan Gorilla. I kid you not. Called him a Samoan Gorilla, and it took me a minute. I'm like, so, black stunt double, Samoan Gorilla. It's like, why didn't you just call him a pineapple picker while you were at it at the rate you were going? Oh, yeah, Roman Reigns, good old pineapple chucker. Like, 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 I, I really, it took me a moment. I'm like, are you really just saying that Roman Reigns is a gorilla? Really? Holy shit. Like, it just, it just, and you know what the best part was? You know, Seth Rollins wanted to laugh so, so much. (laughs) Coconut cracker. Thank you, Jay. But seriously, like I watched that. I was like, really? That just happened? But you know what? Aside from that awkward ass segment, the match was very good, but. It upset me because if you're trying to build interest for a pay-per-view match between Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns, why would Roman Reigns get a clean pin on Monday? Why? Why would you do that? Why would you derail any potential for that match to steal the show Sunday night if you just gave away the pinfall for fucking free? (sighs) I don't understand how you could do that. I really don't. You gave away the match. You gave away a clean pin for free. Why? Anyone? Bueller? Someone? I don't get it. I really don't. It was. It was. It upset me so much. And then, we did the um the the R the um Mark Henry Rusev segment, which was, it was it was interesting, but again, just to close out a pay a a, a raw before a big major pay per view. With that, was just terrible. Now, before I get into the other wrestling news, allegedly, the rationale for this was that they did the Cena and Lesnar thing early in the show because they wanted to capitalize on the Monday Night Football audience changing the channel to watch that instead of watching the halftime show for Monday Night Football. Allow me, allow me to, to express a couple of different things about that. Number one, as much as WWE wants to be the driving force on Monday night. I don't give a shit if it's Adrian Peterson and Ray Rice in a sack race. You are not competing with the NFL on Monday night. It's not happening. I don't give a shit. I don't care. I don't care what match it is. I don't I don't I don't give a shit. Unless you're doing something huge like the debut of Sting or or a 60-minute Iron Man match between a CM Punk and Daniel Bryan, you're not competing with the nfl stop it instead of trying to compete with the nfl give us shit that we don't have to change the channel to watch the nfl how about that instead of giving us cameron trying to pin naomi on her stomach give us a real match so we don't have to change the fucking channel i don't understand you're gonna try and compete with the nfl on monday why for what purpose are you gonna try and do that i just don't fucking understand I don't. Can someone explain that to me? Thank you, Jay. Jay Jay summed it up perfectly. Ladies and gentlemen, let me share this with you. Jay says, and I quote, "They have come to they have to come to grips that for 4 months they're going to lose to the NFL." Thank you. Thank you, Jay. Thank you. I agree 1000%. I do. You're not competing with the NFL, even if it's the shittiest teams playing. People are going to watch the Monday night games. Do you understand how much of a huge market there is for fantasy football? Do do you understand how big that is? Do you understand that when people are in football pools, the Monday night game is the tiebreaker for people making fucking money? Why would you tune in? Why? You know you're going to show the same segment an hour later. Sometimes half an hour later, you're going to show the same shit. So what is the incentive for me to flip the channel? Instead of making me want to flip the channel from the NFL game, how about you make the incentive that I don't change the channel to the NFL game? How about that? Because that's fucking amazing, folks. <laughs> I'm serious. Why would you do that? It's, it's insanity at its best. Anyway, let's get into the other wrestling news for the week. All right, so... The Rock did an interview recently with Muscle & Fitness, and here's the the funny thing. If you're a gym rat like I am or or are any sort of a fitness enthusiast, I got to tell you, Muscle & Fitness is pretty much 10 pages of articles, 70 pages of ads, period, period. 70 pages of ads, 20 pages or even 10 pages, depending on the month, of genuine articles. So... Between all the ads for Cell Tech, Muscle Tech, Lean Mass Gainer, X Gainer, Y Gainer, Z Gainer, this article with The Rock was was very cool because he talked about his return to the ring and the fact that he almost came to blows with John Cena during the middle of their feud. He said, um, and I quote, it got really uncomfortable for a lot of people and it gets uncomfortable for the fans that they sense something, but when it gets uncomfortable for the wrestlers and to the executives and the company, then it's something special. I'd say, John, here's what I'm going to say tonight. Go fuck yourself. I kid you not. <laughs> He'd say, well, here's going to be my response. Fuck you too. I mean, it was like that and it was palpable for the fans. It was palpable backstage. And I never... And, you know, I would never be like that under any circumstance. I'm collaborative with everyone I work with, and I take a lot of pride in that. And you know something? So is John. But he said, and I quote, he's a great guy. He's one of the best guys out there. And here's what we realized. If we wanted to build up the two biggest matchups back to back and create something special in Miami and New York, we're going to have to do it this way. And we might fail miserably at it. People might think it's not real or you run into the challenge of the potential for people to go, it's so real that it's not real. But in this case, it worked out well and through all the edge and attitude and bite, we had nearly come in a blows backstage and the one night in the ring literally were nose to nose. It was crazy, but after that, we became great friends. And here's here's the funny thing. If you watched the second the second buildup to the match between Cena and The Rock, you can genuinely see that tension there. But... I will say that The Rock is always a consummate professional and a showman. So you never know. He may have just been adding some interesting nuggets in that interview just to spice the interview up. But if, if what he's saying is true, I definitely felt it on the second go around that the feud was definitely more, more, well, not even, I, I kind of want to say the first match had more of that more visceral hatred between two performers and that was it was interesting because there's always going to be the dynamic and the underlying tension because as much as John Cena wants to be as successful as The Rock he's not I hate to say it he's not he's not the trailblazer that The Rock is but the, the John Cena is a better ambassador for the company I will say that Cena is a better ambassador but Rock is a better success story simple as that Cena is the proverbial good guy the face of the company of the face of uh, of WWE's charitable organization. You know, it's it's one of those things that it, it makes perfect sense. But when it comes down to brass tacks, The Rock is WWE's best success story after Hulk Hogan. And And again, depending on how you look at that, there's two schools of thought. Hulk Hogan was successful in his time because that's what worked, much like The Rock is successful now because the way he is works for him. It's even crazy to say that Batista, to a degree, has become more successful because if it, if the rumors are to be believed, I'll discuss that shortly. We're going to be seeing a lot more of Batista, and it won't be in the ring either. And I'll get into that momentarily. Anyway, as I said, the interview was very it was very good. As I, you know, if you read it, you're gonna you're gonna feel much like I did. Was it what was the Rock adding fuel to the fire, or was it genuinely the way it was? That depends on who you ask, but overall, um, I kind of believe it. I really do. Anyway, so WWE.com posted a list of of John Cena's top 10 opponents. Number 10 was Kurt Angle. Number 9 was Triple H. Number 8 was JBL. Number 7 was the WWE Universe. I kid you not. Number 6 was CM Punk. 5 was The Rock. 4 was Batista. 3 was Brock Lesnar. 2 was Edge. And 1 was Randy Orton. Now, the funniest thing is that everybody read that, and a lot of people found the same thing I did, and that's the fact that WWE has officially acknowledged that CM Punk is no longer with the company. The reason I say this is because in that feature, this excerpt was especially telling. It takes a bold, bold man to call himself the best in the world without any hint of showmanship to it. CM Punk was nothing if not bold. The self-appointed heir to John Cena as the face of professional wrestling, Punk's agitation over being passed over festered into an earth-shattering pipe bomb that took Cena, the McMahons, and the institution of sports entertainment itself to task. He then promptly won John Cena's WWE title and gallivanted into retirement. But you probably don't need Wikipedia to know that the straight edge superstar couldn't stay away for long as he eventually came back to further challenge Cena's dominance and beat him more often than not. These two were having classic matches for years after that initial clash. Perhaps the greatest disappointment in Punk's untimely departure is knowing that they definitely had a few more in them. And reading that, you realize that WWE has come to to terms with the fact that CM Punk is probably not coming back. And me as a fan, I've came to terms with that a long time ago. And I'm seeing more and more people share the same sentiment. But it takes it takes, you know, brass balls to not only still still be addressing the punk situation behind the scenes but write something favorable about him in relation to his work with john cena so definitely kudos to them for that and who knows never say never in the wrestling business but it was it was a good way to add closure to the cm punk situation by by acknowledging that obviously you can still play a cm punk in wwe 2k 15 um They're obviously not going to sell any more CM Punk merchandise, and uh, who knows, that 22-page brief from their lawyers may have had a part in it, but at this point, if you want to relive the glory of CM Punk, pick up CM Punk's Blu-ray or DVD, throw on your straight-edge shirt, or pick up the best of CM Punk from Ring of Honor, and relive those moments, because for the time being, the straight-edge savior is staying the fuck home. Simple as that. So... One of the things I was watching earlier tonight between the DVR, the Ultimate Fighter, and TNA Impact was the fact that TNA Impact has their next set of tapings in Bethlehem, PA. And a lot of of interesting news came out of those tapings. But one of the things I did notice that Bound for Glory actually has advertised that Bully Ray will be there. Now the funny thing is that Bully Ray's contract with TNA was not going to be renewed. It's been rumored that Bully Ray is doing a date uh, you know a per appearance contract. Um obviously Team 3D is set to receive the Hall of Fame induction at Bound for Glory, so you definitely kind of need Bully Ray there. But I think that the reasoning for this also is that the new short-term deal is going to allow him the opportunity to wrap up, obviously, the tag team title series with the Hardys and the Wolves, which has been, without a doubt, some of the best wrestling I've seen on TNA in in, in recent memory, especially from the tag team side of things. Uh, amazing matches, and again, just makes you wonder what could have been with the Hardys or even Team 3D or the Wolves being in the WWE tag team, uh, tag team scene, but a lot Uh, we can still enjoy those great matches on TNA impact for the foreseeable future, or at least till TNA shuts his doors, whichever comes first. All right. So speaking of TNA, they will be back here in New York city in January. I did want to mention that on air because I figured Jay, uh, let's definitely try and collaborate. Maybe we can all kind of make a uh, staff outing to, um, you know, an impact taping when they do it in the city. Or maybe Ring of Honor when they do it in the city. So let's keep in touch for that. Um, You know, once I get the schedule, I will definitely share it with you, and I'll share it with those of you on air as well. All right. On the flip side of things, you know, we got TNA back here in New York City. We also are going to have Ring of Honor back here in New York City in in the near future. But somebody else is going to be in New York City, ladies and gents, and that is the one and only Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho is scheduled to finish his current run with the WWE at night of champions. And he's got a brand new autobiography called the best in the world at what I have no idea, which is expected to hit retailers October 4th. Anyway, uh, Chris Jericho is going to be doing a book signing tour. And I wanted to share the dates with you guys in case he shows up in your area might be a great opportunity to meet one of the all time greats and even pick up a copy of his book as well. Uh, first off, If you're here in New York City, uh, you'll be able to meet Chris Jericho October 14th at the Barnes & Noble in Carl Place in Old Country Road. That's actually five minutes from my office, so I may actually tough it out and go and meet Chris Jericho. If you live in New Jersey, October 15th at Bookends, East Ridgewood Avenue in Ridgewood, New Jersey. October 16th, he will be in Staten Island at the Barnes & Noble on Richmond Avenue. October 21st, he will be at the Barnes & Noble in West West Northwest Highway, Texas. And that's, um, excuse me, West Northwest Highway in Dallas, Texas. Let me get that right. October 25th, if you want to meet Chris Jericho, he will be in Tampa, Florida, um... At 2 p.m. at the Barnes and Noble in North Dale Mabry Highway in Tampa, Florida. I will share all those dates in the show notes if you're interested in meeting Chris Jericho. Uh, Jay says Jericho is fan friendly for sure. So, yeah, I'm going to definitely try and see if I can meet Chris Jericho on October 14th. If I do, be on the lookout, obviously, for photos on the My Take Radio and Rageworks fan pages as well as on Instagram. Okay, so. One of the things I read, and consider this a spoiler, so if you don't want TNA spoiled for you, uh, fast forward for the next three or four minutes to this particular bit of news. First up, uh, and this this is crazy, Brodus Clay showed up at Impact recently. I kid you not. Why? Who knows? But Brodus Clay, you'll probably see him on the October uh, October 1st edition of Impact, as he, I believe, will be aligned with EC3. In addition to that, there will be a title change during that October 1st impact. Um, I might as well spoil that. It's going to be the knockouts title between Gail Kim and Havoc. I'm sure you can figure that out. But in any event, Brodus Clay is heading to TNA. Very, very interesting. Again, uh, that will probably be occurring during the October 1st edition of Impact. Um, Obviously, uh, this week's tapings in Bethlehem will be the remaining events in the U.S. before the TNA, uh, TNA heads to Japan for Bound for Glory. Now, what happens to TNA after that and their future with Spike TV, as I've said, is uncertain. There's been a couple of suitors that may be picking up TNA, but I have a feeling that it's going to be a very, very stripped-down version of the current broadcast that we've been seeing. As we get more news, of course, we will share it with you guys. All right, so I did want to talk about, and you know, as I mentioned this with uh, the TNA tapings, I want to talk about Dixie Carter's interview with Grantland. Uh, Very, very interesting story that was put out. Uh, One of the things I wanted to talk about was... Uh, her comments about Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan she said I don't think Eric and Hogan knew the roster at all in fact I don't even know if they watched the show before they came in and if they did it had to be very little. No one knew um, actually this was this was AJ Styles excuse me AJ Styles sharing his opinions on the on Hogan and Bischoff. He said no one knew who I was no one knew who Samoa Joe was. We added Rob Van Dam because everyone knows him. This was AJ Styles. Dixie Carter said on, with regards to AJ Styles re-signing with the company, I hate that we lost AJ. Are you listening? I hate it. I felt like we gave him a great offer. I really did. I felt like we gave him a great offer and I think he made a mistake. Now, now here's the thing. If, you, if you've if you been following AJ Styles' post-TNA career, you know that he's a member of the Bullet Club for New Japan Pro Wrestling, um, delivering amazing matches in Japan. The funny thing is that AJ Styles is your cornerstone, the face of your organization. He was pretty much one of the founding fathers of TNA. And if you feel that he wasn't worth being kept by any means necessary, then the people that are at fault are management. I hate to say it, but it's true. I would rather blame Dixie Carter than blame AJ Styles because AJ was there from the fucking beginning. From the beginning. This was a guy that he was, he was part of various factions, various stables, had some of the greatest matches that TNA fans have ever seen, and you let him go. Why? I don't know. And it it bothers me because, you know, WWE may not have any interest in AJ Styles, but AJ Styles still continues to entertain and give us amazing matches wherever he goes. And the fact that he's not part of the TNA landscape is a travesty all its own. And I'm sorry, Dixie, as much as you want to feel that you tried your best, you fucking did absolutely nothing to try and keep AJ as the cornerstone of your company. I hate to say it. And when asked about the offer from TNA, AJ said it was insulting. For a guy who'd been a staple of that company for 11 years, who busted his tail, never got in trouble, never did anything to embarrass the company. And what Carter offered me was enough to go, I'm not working here. I love that company. I did. I put everything I had into it. And, you know, hearing that and hearing what AJ has to say is... You know, it's heartbreaking because it's true. When you think of TNA, you think of AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, Frankie Kazarian, Amazing Red, Low Key, Jerry Lynn, um, Elix Skipper, Sonny Siaki, Samoa Joe, Bobby Roode, you know, Eric Young, the beautiful people. The list goes on and on. Abyss. Abyss has fucking been there forever. And this is what I'm talking about. So many people have come and gone from that company. But there are still... You know, James Storm is an, is another great example. There's still so many guys that have remained loyal to that company, and for you to let the guy who was your cornerstone, not only that, but the guy that gave you some of the best matches, you let him slip through your fingers. I I really put the blame on them because AJ's still going around kicking ass, and who knows? A lot of people say he may never make it to the WWE. That age is a factor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Who knows, because AJ Styles' work is still impressive. Yeah, he's not great on the mic, but there's not a lot of guys in the WWE right now that are killing it on the mic either. I hate to say it, but it's true. Alright, so, I kind of want to talk about this last bit of news, and this is something that, um, very interesting. And it involves what happened at NXT TakeOver. If you guys saw NXT TakeOver, you know that Kenta debuted, and during his debut, he, he announced that he was changing his name from Kenta... To Hideo Itami. Now, the interesting about this is the interesting thing is that the reasoning for this was because of Vince McMahon. Originally, it's been said, and again, take this as rumor, it's been said that Triple H wanted to keep Kenta as Kenta on the WWE roster because he felt that it would be a great way to capitalize on his popularity in Japan. He also wanted to make sure that they did not offend the Japanese audience. He feels that Kenta can be of great assistance to the WWE as they make uh, their presence in Japan felt. Vince, however, from what's been said, considers trademarking names very important. And he was very, very adamant about making sure that Kenta had a new name upon his debut. Now, here's the funny thing. There's two schools of thoughts. There's two schools of thought. Sorry. You can say that it's true WWE wants to protect themselves and own the names of the superstars on their roster. But I also have to acknowledge the fact that Kenta is and always will be that. He will be Kenta. Wherever he goes, you could call him whatever you want. That's who he is. I mean, Daniel Bryan, you know, from Bryan Danielson to Daniel Bryan, it wasn't it wasn't bad. You know, it wasn't it wasn't the worst change in the world. Same thing with Sami Zayn from El Generico, whatever, no big deal, he was under a mask, but Kenta made a name for himself with that name, that's who people know him as, that's who he is. Same thing with Prince Devitt, you know, unless you change him into something that closely resembles that name, like you could have called him Kenta something and just used a full name instead of just Kenta and then you could have just owned the rights to the full name. Much like when Christian was Christian in the WWE, but when he went to TNA he was Christian Cage. Same shit, but he was still, you know, everybody knew the name. It was still synonymous with the performer. I mean, again, this goes back to the continuing power struggles that I've talked about between Triple H and Vince McMahon. And this is a great indicator of that. Me, personally, I don't have a problem with the Hideo Itami name, but I do understand the rationale from Triple H that you're trying to gain traction in the guy's home country and you want him to continue to be recognized by the name that he had prior. Very, very interesting. In either, in either case, I definitely see Kenta being successful in the WWE for the foreseeable future as long as he is booked correctly and not with the usual racial stereotypes and racial overtones that we've seen with countless Asian superstars that have been involved in the WWE for as far back as I can remember. <sighs> so, we got the last last few bits of news to wrap things up. Uh, Sean O'Hare's passing, which we acknowledged last week, uh, a little more light was shed on the events leading up to his passing. Uh, TMZ has reported that Sean O'Hare went to WWE-sponsored rehab multiple times. Um, some, Some reports are saying six times, TMZ is saying multiple times, and that his most recent rehab stint was earlier this year, and it was not successful. Um... Again, one of the things that, you know, WWE gets a lot of shit, but I definitely commend them for their program for, um, you know past superstars that have worked with the company uh getting rehabilitation and being assisted with certain medical expenses I mean Jake the snake has been very vocal about WWE helping him out uh, during his issues with pneumonia and now battling cancer so you know I gotta acknowledge the good that WWE does I mean they paid for this guy's rehab six times and it's you know six times in the past six years and it's just unfortunate again the guy was in his 40s to to pass away so so you know so tragically you know based on suicide was just crazy to report but the fact that you know he's been in and out of rehab so much and the wwe was involved uh definitely very interesting and it adds a, a another layer to a very very tragic tragic story all right so let's close this out with batista who as many of you know has found incredible success Due to his role as Drax in Guardians of the Galaxy, we all know that Batista uh, pretty much became a household name after his work in Guardians and it looks like Marvel is recognizing that potential as well. According to what's been said through multiple media outlets, uh Marvel Studios is currently restructuring Batista's contract to see him not only get more money due to the success of Guardians of the Galaxy, but also be involved in other Marvel films as well, including Guardians of the Galaxy 2 as well. As a third Avengers film now seeing his involvement in a third Avengers film obviously leads to the to the very very strong rumor that it will probably be the Infinity Gauntlet and that Thanos will be involved so definitely very interesting to see that. Um, It's also been said that in Avengers 3, he will have a very, very significant role. Again, fueling the fires of the Infinity Gauntlet coming to the big screen. In any event, the second Avengers movie isn't even scheduled for release until well after... uh, You know, the second Avengers film isn't scheduled to be released until May 2015, so a third Avengers movie is still a long ways off. But seeing that, it's very interesting because after restructuring that deal and involving him in guardians two and avengers three it also seems that uh the people that are overseeing batista's hollywood career do not want to see him involved in pro wrestling they feel that wwe did not utilize him effectively in his build-up to his work in guardians of the galaxy and as such in addition obviously for insurance purposes they want to ensure that batista remains healthy so that he continue so that he can continue contributing to his roles in the marvel universe now again Definitely something I'm not surprised about. I mean, this goes back to the same thing with The Rock, where after the injuries he sustained in his match against John Cena, um, representatives in Hollywood and studios were very apprehensive about dealing with him in future roles just because he had to deal with those injuries. I mean, you know, for pain and gain, it was acknowledged, and it was even acknowledged to a degree in Hercules um, that he was, you know, taking care of nursing some nagging injuries from his match with John Cena at Mania. But in any event... It appears that Batista, for the time being, will be making his home in the Marvel Universe. All right. With that said, that is actually going to wrap up this first episode of My Take Radio's two times a week broadcast schedule. Again, uh, My Take Radio will be twice a week going forward. Wednesdays will be MMA and professional wrestling. Thursdays will be gaming and entertainment news. And maybe we'll sprinkle in a little bit of tech as well. All right. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio, you can email me, host at com. You can find archived episodes on mytakeradio.com, rageworks.net you can also get episodes if you subscribe via itunes stitcher and tune in radio we ask that if you are getting the show via itunes please take a moment and review the show we would really really appreciate it it also helps us get higher in the rankings and hopefully get on the front page of itunes we've been there before and the only way we can get back there of course is with your help if you want to continue supporting the show, you can always support our Patreon account, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot forward slash MyTakeRadio. Uh, Javon Lewis is one of our contributors on Patreon, always a great help. And of course, those uh, that support allows us to improve our equipment and continue to improve the broadcast for you, the viewer, and the listener. On behalf of myself, Slick, Quark, Blade, Andrea, Josh, and the rest of the MTR family, I will see you guys tomorrow. Uh, That's going to be Thursday, uh, September 18th at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. And we will be talking uh, gaming and entertainment. I will catch you guys next week. That's it. I'm out of here. Peace. Our outro music for this week, uh, we're going to give a little shout out to our friends at ocremix.org. We actually got a couple of new tracks from them. Uh, The first one I think we're going to go out with, if I can find it, that would be uh, rather helpful. Hell, of course, you know what? Let's uh, switch that up. We're still going to go out with OC Remix, but unfortunately for me, I cannot find uh, some of the music that we've downloaded. So we got to go out with one of our uh, old time favorites, and I think it's going to be you know what? Let's go out with Super Mario Brothers 3 Pipes Remix by 7th Epic. Available at ocremix.org. The letter O, the letter C. Remix.org. See you guys tomorrow.